0: Welcome to the Zerudha the Educate podcast. Everybody at Zerudha had a throat infection, so I'm hosting this. My name is Prateek Singh and I'm the founder of LearnApp.co, a video education platform where you can learn investing and trading from the leaders of the industry. Do check out LearnApp. Today we'll be talking about passive investing. You know, the first retail index fund was launched in the year 1976 by Jack Bogle. He's the founder of Vanguard. It took a while, but index funds, at least in the developed markets, have become really popular. But in spite of all this growth, and contrary to the popular narrative, passive investing is just a tiny part of the overall market. Passive investing just makes about 10% of global investable securities, and only 15% in the US. In India, passive funds make about 5%, and that's like a rounding error for the total mutual fund industry. To put that into perspective, the AUM of Index Mutual Funds is just about 6500 crores in 2019. That's not even a billion dollars! In this conversation, we'll be talking all things passive investing and index funds with Prateek Oswal, the Head of Passive Funds with Motilal Oswal. Isn't this interesting, Prateek talking to Prateek? Hey,
1: Pratik! <laughs> hi, hi, Prateek. Uh, it's always it's always good to uh, have a conversation with another Prateek. So <laughs> uh, I'm excited to to sort of do this, and uh, yeah, look forward to our conversation. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. So let, uh, before we start talking about passive investing, right? So tell me about yourself. How did you get involved in the markets?
1: Yes. Um, so I've actually um, I've actually been in the markets for quite some time. So I've been in finance for. I think almost 10 years. Um, So I think I've uh, started my career in sort of more the traditional finance. So worked in investment banking, private equity, but then also actually spent the last five years in actually technology, uh, which is more of uh, more of financial technology. So my last gig, I was actually uh, working in a company in Silicon Valley where we were building solutions on passive products and then selling it to uh, investment advisors. And, you know, so while I was doing this, you know, I think what I learned was passive investing is obviously great because the products themselves are extremely simple, very easy to understand and very effective for investing in the long run. But what I also learned is that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to innovate on top of passive products. You know, so for example, in my case, what I did was I took passive products and overlaid it with uh, a strategy and sold it to advisors. So that's how I've sort of been introduced to passive investing and I've, I've been a huge fan. You know, I think the company that I was working at, we scaled our platform from around $40 million in AUM in assets to almost $450 million in a year and a half. So I think that was a lot of fun and uh, I, I hope to you know make a similar impact uh, at Motilal as well so that makes sense right that makes
0: sense why you are the head of passive uh, index products at motilal i guess
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh, i think um, it's it's more of the passion um, i think i'm extremely uh, i think you know in in terms of my personality also you know i believe a lot in, in a lot of simplicity um, I'm, I'm quite a sort of Zen Buddhism sort of a guy so I think passive products also complement my personality which is what I, I, what I like about them. They're very simple, easy to understand and I think uh, most investors I feel today or I mean I think all sophisticated investors in the US have adopted this very well. And um, that's that's why I think I see a lot of opportunity in this space. Yeah, I think
0: what, what's interesting Pratik, so you've seen both sides now, actually. You've seen the US pretty well yeah. and you're looking at India now. So what's the difference between the US markets and the Indian markets? You know, um,
1: you know I think US markets are slightly ahead of India in terms of efficiency um, in the sense that I think uh, Indian markets are sort of... So I think uh, historically, you know, if you looked at it, the US markets were around between 15-20 years ahead of, um, of the new markets. But I think that is closing down. Um, US markets are obviously a lot bigger uh, and more, much more. I think the number of large cap companies out there, uh, the number of just uh, mega size companies a lot more. So for example, you know I think in India, the top 100 companies are large caps, whereas in the US the top 500 companies are all large cap stocks you know so i think the the market is a lot deeper it's a lot more efficient there's a lot more bigger companies in that space and there's also a lot of lot more trading activity happening in the us market so you know i think uh, which 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 makes sense because you know it's a much bigger country as an economy it's i think five or six times india's gdp so i think uh, it's always good to know you know where we're headed as a market so i think that experience out there was super valuable uh, and 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 I think uh, from the way you know I think just the U.S. markets have performed, despite uh, being a very efficient economy. Um, it's, uh, I think it, I think the, it's precedent that you know, Indian markets will sort of go the same way. Correct. And, and I think I understand why you came back to India to run the business because India,
0: you probably see what potential India has over the next decade,
1: right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think opportunity is sort of immense. You know, I have seen it. So I think I've been investing for a very, very long time. You know, my family's been investing for 30, or 30 odd years. And, you know, what we've seen is just, I mean, uh, the growth opportunity that has happened in India versus where we're headed is is huge. And I think uh, anyone who's looking to participate in the equity markets today is is going to be super happy. if, if obviously you know, I think the only challenges is behavioral, that markets are obviously a little bit risky in the short term. So what I say is that you know risk is short term, return is long term. you know so if you're if you're able to you know sort of ride the cycles, of short-termism, then I think you can be you'll be very happy with what sort of returns you get in the future.
0: Cool. Yeah. So for the uninitiated who's listening to this, um, let's just do a quick uh, a
1: quick one one line. So what are passive funds? What do they track? So one sentence, uh, passive funds are funds that track the returns of an index or a benchmark. Um, so by index or a benchmark, I think uh, a Nifty or a Sensex would be an example of an index and uh, Ideally, the, the Nifty. If you were investing in a fund that that is replicating the Nifty, the Nifty goes up by ten percent, you go up by ten percent. So you're just purely replicating the returns of the benchmark.
0: Right. Perfect.
1: So I think that makes sense.
0: And uh, you also probably want to explain what the expense ratio is. Is it cheaper than an actively managed fund, and and why?
1: Yeah. So you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of cost associated with active funds. You know, you have to have. Uh, I think. Um, you you have to have fund managers and you have to have a philosophy and I think uh, the reason why active uh, passive funds are preferred by some subset of customers is because of the cost aspect you know I think passive funds are today I would say in the US and also in India you know I think one fifth to one tenth the price of an active fund so if you're looking at maybe one half two percent in expense ratio uh, and this is obviously in a direct plan you're looking at uh, one fifth of that in a passive fund so I think costs are extremely important and the reason why costs are important is that I think you mentioned Jack Bogle. You know, I'm a big fan of Jack, Jack Bogle and what he said is that, you know, I think the guys who have ended up, you know, creating wealth over very long periods have guys who have focused on cost and on discipline, you know, and passive funds make sure that they're focusing on cost. Yeah, and also
0: he took something very simple and just scaled the heck out of it and it worked right i mean vanguard that way is done amazingly well
1: yeah exactly so you know i think vanguard started in 1976 you know this is almost 45 years ago and they launched uh the s p 500 which is basically the top 500 stocks in the us and uh, just just imagine you know this you launched something in 45 years ago you survived and today the s p 500 is actually the largest and the most traded index in the world, you know, you're looking at 800 trillion, of, trillions of dollars that have been traded on the S&P 500. So, you know, I think what we've seen is that, you know, um, number one, simplicity works, so a simple product works better than a complex product. And number two, you know, I think these products have stood the test of time. So in those 45 years, for example, uh, I would say two thirds or maybe three fourths of all active funds have either closed down or merged. And maybe one or two have outperformed the benchmark um, by say um, by one or more percent. So I think uh, um, I think over a really long time periods, you know, you're really sort of um, creating a lot of wealth through passive.
0: Yeah, I, and to think about it, to put this in perspective, like I just did a Google search, right? August thirty first, two thousand nineteen, Vanguard is managing five point six trillion. I mean, that's I think what Pratik was talking about. So if it's simple, think about WhatsApp, right? How simple the product is. They were able to scale it so well, and it works. Um, so so now that we we've, we've talked about uh, the passive uh, world uh, pratik, let's talk about Motilal Oswal well, right so this isn't the first time Motilal is actually launching an index fund you guys actually had a passive fund in 2010 so what changed till uh, since then and what do you why do you think you'll actually
1: succeed now in 2019 so so great question so actually you know most people don't know this but we've actually been in the passive investing space for almost a decade now um, so we actually launched uh, India's first ETF. So India's first uh, smart beta ETF, it was called the uh, most 50 remixed. Uh, by remixed I mean you, know, you take the nifty-fifty and you change the weightages and um, I think it was a smart beta product. And uh, we launched it in 2010 and actually did recently well, we got good uh, sort of coverage and AUMs. But I think you know, what we realized is that back then the knowledge of uh, what people had about passives was quite low. I think, uh, you know, even though this is a passive product, you know, we kept getting phone calls, you know, from people asking us, who's your fund manager? You know, why is he buying this stock? Um, you know, I mean, and, and it's very hard for us to say that. Post, you know, there is no fund manager, and there's we have we have this algorithm that's sort of driving all decision making. So I think um, knowledge was less. Uh, I will I'll be honest, and that's why I sort of we sort of pivoted to uh, an active strategy, which is obviously done pretty well. It's more core to our beliefs, and um, I think this. So this is our this is our second attempt towards passives. Um, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So you know, I mean, I know you've probably.
0: People have probably asked you this question like a thousand times. Yeah. But every time I take the flight and land in Mumbai or any other airport, I see like this Motilal ad, right? Yeah. (laughs) And you probably look at it and smile as well. And it says, it says, buy, right, sit tight. So like active is like the part of your DNA, right? So that's right. uh, I know you've been in passive for a long time, but it feels like. You're more aggressive now and passive, I can say that. So uh, why is that?
1: Yeah, so I think, so our DNA, obviously, as you said, is, is active investing, is research, it's stock picking. And I think that is our probably, I mean, still I would say biggest strength and it will continue to be, be a big strength going forward too. Uh, I mean, I am obviously, I mean, very committed and to the AMC, and but but I think, you know, I think the, how we see this as, you know, every portfolio needs some element of simplicity. You know, so I'll give you my own example, you know, so I uh, when I was managing money for really wealthy people in the US, you know, what and these guys are like, you know, I mean, 25, 30 million dollars plus in assets, super rich, you know, these guys are like li- relatively older folks. And, you know, what I, what I saw and these guys have obviously adopted, uh, adopted passive funds for, say, like 10, 20, 30 years. And what I saw was that, you know, like if passive one or if active one, you would have 100% portfolio in active or 100% portfolio in passive. But, you know, the reality is that, you know, almost everyone had a combination of both. They had a combination of some act- active, some passive. So I think what we've seen is that, you know, I think every portfolio uh, needs uh, an element of simplicity. And that's where passive comes in. And I think for extremely long time periods, as I said, you know, I think the, the beauty about passive is not about the returns. About, it's about the risk. And it's about... it's it's about longevity so if you're looking to invest for say 10 years plus if you're like 25 30 35 roles you have a very long career you're looking to invest for retirement so it makes sense to have some portfolio where you know you're sort of hedged from a lot of these short term things that happen with active fund managers so i think um, yeah and also you know i think most people don't realize this but you know um, i mean just to be like super sort of direct uh, is that you know a lot of the mutual fund industry today you know, a lot of funds that I've seen today, and, and this is from my obviously very uh, sort of small time in the space uh, that like like a lot of them are like the funds that we have are sort of typically benchmark huggers. By benchmark huggers, I mean, you know, I think most funds do that 1% up, 1% down sort of performance. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, wow. I can't believe you're saying this. I, I really appreciate your honesty. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's, it's just that that is. I mean, and, and I think uh, that is something that, uh, so in the US, they call this alpha core. And these funds have actually uh, haven't sort of, uh, because when you think about it, you know, a lot of these funds are, you're looking at, you know, two and a half percent expense ratio. They keep a cash call of five to 10%, and then you have a lot of churning as well. So I think a fund manager in those funds has to, not now, but from even now in the future, has to outperform it by three to 4% just to match the benchmark, which I think will get harder over time. So, and and if you see all of uh, Motidal Oswal's funds, or in you know, all, our, all our strategies, we're actually very focused you know, all our strategies like very like focus 25, 35, very concentrated portfolios where, you know, I think, uh, I mean, our investors have seen this, that when we do outperform, we outperform like crazy and we are underperforming. So we call ourselves benchmark agnostic. So if we have a bearish call on IT, you know, we're more than happy to take a 0% exposure on IT, which I think a lot of people won't be able to. So I think, uh, so, so, and, and so I think that's where sort of we fit in. We, we see ourselves as pure alpha seekers. And we see ourselves, obviously, now we're building a business that's focused on just pure beta.
0: Yeah, you talked about churn, that active has some bit of churn and some of them have a lot of churn. Yeah. Uh, but even the constituents of the benchmark itself also change, right? So is that something to worry about, something to think about? Uh, why does that happen? How does the investor
1: see that? So the constituents of the benchmark, the age changing is actually you know the most beautiful thing and it's the best part about passive investing. Is <laughs> literally why passive investing yeah. works. You know, if you think about it, you know, in today, 2005, just take back 2005, you know, you're looking at the Nifty 50, which is a top 50 index. You know, most people, most people don't know this, but Nifty 50 was not financial services heavy. It used to be industrials, infrastructure, you know, utilities, oil and gas. Whereas today it's financial services, 35% plus and tomorrow it might be something else. Correct. So actually what's protecting investors is the fact that the benchmark changes every say 5 to 10 years time. You know, you make sure that you always have the best quality or the best, like the top stocks in India will always be in your portfolio, regardless of what happens. You know, so a lot of stocks who haven't gone back, which haven't gone back to the highs in 2008, a lot of them actually haven't uh, gone back to the highs today also. But the benchmark has, has, I would say, gone up two and a half times since then. So I think uh, passive investing, really, because, you know, it's, 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 I would say, um, it's very, um, it follows Darwinism, you know, which is survival of the fittest. And it, it sort of adapts to changing conditions, so you can make sure that if you hold a passive fund today, you will hold the best fifty, yeah. or top, <laughs> top whatever it is, even in, in the
0: future. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you this question, but you sort of already quasi answered it. What I was going to really ask is, an index fund is not created with any fundamentals in mind, right? That's the point. So there's no bias. Absolutely, so, right. There's no bias. It on liquidity or market cap or something like that, right? And uh, that may cause some bad companies to just pop in, right? Like the Yes Bank may pop in, like the Vakrangi may pop in. Um, so isn't that a bad thing because, you know, there's no fundamental involved. Doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of indexing uh, that these guys may just pop up or is that just part of the game?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think, uh, so most, I would say at least, a simple passive funds are, are weighted, weighted by size. So by size, I mean, the bigger stocks get more weightage, the smaller stocks get less weightage. Yeah, market cap weighted and that's how I would say most of the simple passive funds are structured and I completely agree, you know, I mean, I think when you're looking at a passive fund, you will have, like for example, the next 50, uh, the nifty next 50, which is, um, you know, stock number 51 to 100 had guys like DHFL India Bulls, which sort of pulled down the returns. So I think that is going to happen. Uh, but the beauty about it is that, you know, it will get kicked out of the index eventually. You know, so I think the index is very brutal. The index does not Uh, I mean, it doesn't have any sympathy for you, so a company that does not deliver will be kicked out of the index very soon and a company that does deliver will get upgraded very soon. So basically, you can expect that. So I think what happens in the active space is, you know, a lot of people tend to uh, chase returns, you know, chasing returns is like big phenomena, Um, I I think, but, but in passive, you know, you're making sure that, you know, whenever something does well, it's automatically going up the order. Uh, and your sort of weightage in that keeps on going up over Yeah, the- and I've
0: also seen like the companies that get discarded, that are moved away from the index, suddenly the liquidity also drops. Um, and if some company just joins, the, then the liquidity just goes up. So clearly people are following the index like much more than this, you know, look in the past mirror, oh, this was a bad company, but they will be weeded out eventually. So I think
1: that makes total sense.
0: So it's even more reason to do index investing, I guess. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I think and and just to add to the point, you know, the index, you know, is actually quite diversified. You know, you're looking at 50, 100, 200, 500 stocks. So one or two bad apples will not really make a big difference to your portfolio. Um, and 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 by the time the bad apple makes a difference, it gets smaller and smaller and more insignificant over time. So, I think God, that is something that investors shouldn't worry. If obviously they're looking for long-term investing, you know, if someone's looking to correct, like, and eventually people
0: go Satyam, Satyam, who? I don't know that. Yeah, country. exactly. No.
1: <laughs> Sorry to <say>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, so no, cool. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, I think we've seen. So we've been running passive funds. You know, we've had Gitanjali Gems. You know, that has comp- like uh, that was in the mid-cap index, and it got thrown out um so yeah i think we've sort of seen that and honestly the the index hasn't really suffered um overall because of how small or how insignificant it becomes as it sort of loses value so yeah so i, I think uh, the stocks that go up um uh, are actually good for the investor and actually they increase in value so I think that is, I think there's entire sort of uh, methodology of, you know, how they, how the stocks move inside make gives a lot of credibility. Yeah. To yeah.
0: You know, one thing I really wanted to uh, understand from you, right? So basically what the manager is doing, uh, not the manager the who's looking after the index fund. He's taking the money, he's uh, distributing it according to the weightage of the index he's tracking. And basically from that, he takes a very small expense ratio and that's what he keeps. Um, now this expense ratio is much lesser than the active funds, like you
1: told me earlier.
0: But a few basis points—does that really matter, Pratik? Can you explain to our listeners how much of a difference this can actually make? Um,
1: you mean expense ratio? Yeah. So it, exp- yeah. So you know, expense ratio is—you uh, know—I think uh, I think it's a very important thing to understand that expense ratio uh, does not matter if you're doing it, say, for one or two or three years' time. But if someone is really investing for a really long time, so suppose a, a relatively young investor who's say 25, 30, 35 is entering the market today and wants to invest for a very long time, then he needs to think about expense ratio because that 1% adds up into something that become quite significant over time. Just, just imagine, you know, you're, you're paying 1% every year for say 30 years. You know, that, that becomes half your portfolio over time. You know, so I think uh, expenses is important. You know, having said that, and I th- the compounding effect also is affecting. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. So, thirty percent plus compounding will be like I don't know, 40, 45, maybe fifty percent. Um, so, I think yeah. So I, I think expenses are important, uh, and I think um, uh, you should have some part of your portfolio that is in sort of low-cost funds. Yeah.
0: You know, there's. I'll jump to a different topic completely now. So, um, there's one misconception, Pradeek, that index funds don't offer downside. Like. What retailers hear all the time is, oh, debt will give you downside uh, cushioning if the market goes down, right? And active funds also say that a lot. So how do you respond to that? I mean, index doesn't have debt, obviously, it's pure equity. So what does that really mean?
1: No, so I think index funds are exactly like active. I mean, they're exactly the same. You know. So, you know, I think there's, uh, so the way I see it, the mutual fund ads come and you have this guy in the, in the end saying, index funds are uh, subject to market risk you know that is literally the definition of an index fund you know that is literally because because an active fund is subject to market risk as well as a fund manager risk you know so a combination of two whereas index funds are pure market risk and the reason why that is absolutely great is because you know who to point fingers to which is the market and the market as you know is Volatile, you know. So I think the beauty about, you know, as you said, um, obviously, yeah. I mean, in the index funds are just like active funds, so they ca- could be more volatile, they could be less volatile than active funds. It depends on what the strategy you're comparing it to. But uh, you know, just just to just to let you know that, you know, most investors today, I think a good proportion of them, you know, I think churning of portfolio is 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 a bit of an issue, and the number one reason to why people churn their portfolio is underperformance and the second one is capital loss so with index funds you know you don't really have that underperformance happening in your portfolio so there's not really a need to churn the portfolio so i think uh, it's much more stress-free and uh, which is why i think you know sort of keeping on to the cycles or holding on to investments for say 10-15 years is much easier than it is say for an active fund where you may underperform you may not you know, so I think that is why I think managing the psychology of investor, uh, which I think is key for long-term investing, is is relatively less difficult with index. And I think uh, I think uh, we should also talk about risk. Yeah, we should. You know, so as you know, so yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett. You know, I've gone to Omaha, I've 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 seen him speak there. Oh really? Think, uh, At his breath? Yeah, yeah, oh, that wow. was. Yeah, I think I, I think every investor you know who's sort of passionate about investing should really like think about you know making a pilgrimage to Omaha <laughs> because it's such an incredible experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a pilgrimage. It's it's the environment is absolutely crazy. It's not very hard to sort of you know get a ticket to go there. And I think uh, I mean if you think and and I think if you think about it, you know it's it sounds like the most boring thing in the world. It's like two old guys just talking for ten hours. But uh, they really, really do captivate your attention. So I think uh, a huge learning opportunity, obviously, you know, you can live see it live stream on Google, but I think seeing them in person is very different. But anyway, so, the, so coming back to uh, the point that, you know, so Warren Buffett uh, learned. Um, so he studied under this guy called uh, Benjamin Graham, which who wrote this really nice book called The Intelligent Investor, uh, which uh, a very hard
0: read, by the way, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, but. I feel like, you know, every time you read you read, uh, you learn something new. So, you know, I think <laughs> people who have read it should ideally, you know, look at, so just, just, just read it again, because I think it's a very, it's packed with a lot of uh, simplicity and a lot of good insights. And, uh, and one of the insights in the book is, uh, is sort of targeted towards the advisor saying that, you know, the advisor's job is not to manage return, it's to manage risk, you know, because returns, as you've seen, you know, mutual fund space, it's very volatile, you know, back in like five years ago, you know, advisor sold you on 15 to 20% today is 10 to 12% in the future who knows what'll happen you know but you know risk is actually quite consistent you know as investors we need to think about what risk we're taking because if you just do uh, sort by return you'll end up buying small cap stocks small cap funds which are extremely risky you know so i think the risk is something that's extremely important and uh, index funds are great because the because what i've for what we've seen by data is risk is actually quite consistent so, index fund risk today versus the risk ten years ago has been exactly the same. Whereas, an active fund, the ranges are massive. You can have an active fund that is having a standard deviation of six percent. You can have an active fund that has standard deviation of twenty percent. You know, and that. So, you might hold an active fund, but you actually, or, or or like a large cap fund, but you might hold the risk of a small cap fund. So, you know, so I think obviously this will go down over time. But so now, SEBI has come up with certain policies. But I think still, I think so risk is, is, is quite consistent, which I think knowing our risk is much better. And secondly, you know, I think um, investors, you know, so people, you know, what I've seen is that I would say 80-90% of the people today are focused a lot of, like a lot of the energies is towards fund selection. You know, by fund selection, I mean, they have to decide which fund to buy, which fund to sell, which fund to churn. Yeah, so, basically know, strategy, what, what, right? They think yeah, more yeah. strategy rather than allocation. Exactly. Absolutely. More strategy as, you know, which this fund, will this fund give me more returns with that fund, you know, how will I be the benchmark all that. But the reality is that, you know, I think uh, what what I think uh, studies or numerous studies have shown that actually long term returns does not come from which fund you buy or sell. It's actually come from the combination of those funds. And that is called asset allocation, you know. So I think uh, investors need to understand that they need to, they need to have the nice, the, the right combination which will, so for example, a risk averse investor might have a higher debt allocation, higher large cap allocation, whereas a risk loving investor, you know, who wants to sort of make more returns should ideally have a more, say, made a small cap or whatever. So I think that is something. What kind of allocation
0: would you do, Prithee?
1: So depends on uh, the investor, you know, the allocation. No, for your money, like if you had to do it for your
0: money, what would your allocation
1: be? So, um, So in terms of my allocation, you know, I mean, I would definitely have, so I have a long way to go so I have maybe 30-40 year career in front of me so I would definitely have I would say maybe 40 maybe 50% of money and in, in passive funds and the rest I would probably you know do it in active funds or debt all of that yeah yeah so I think I mean currently you know I'll be honest I mean most of my money is with Motila's active funds and the reason that is because you know I think I am biased you know and, and, and I know and I understand the group's philosophy and I am fully on board with it and you know, I know for a fact that, you know, I think active funds do well. Only problem is that most investors don't have the mental capacity to hold on to underperformance too long. So I think uh, I, I definitely feel um, in terms of allocations, you know, the younger you are more passive, the more risk averse you are, I would say more passive.
0: So you have the nifty 500 uh, index fund, you have the mid cap 150, and I see the small cap 250 index, right? Now, uh, as far as my understanding goes, the liquidity dries up maybe in the top eighty, top hundred stocks. Right beyond that, the liquidity starts um, starts to widen. So the bid ask will widen, and liquidity is a challenge. So how do you deal with that as a fund house? Like when money flows in, how do you how do you actually replicate the index then?
1: Yeah. So um, so you, I mean you're absolutely right. Um, liquidity does dry up in India, and I think. Uh, um especially post say the 200 or 250 stock you know there is uh, less liquidity than there would be in the top 100 stocks but you know i knew mean, I, I mean if you look at the nifty 500 you know that is literally the one fund that is that offers you equity as an asset class you know buying india's equity it's, it's like buying gold buying equity would mean nifty 500 because you're buying 96 97 of india's market cap so i think uh, and and if you just look at the nifty 500 you're not actually buying 500 stocks. You know, eighty-five percent or eighty-two and a half percent is actually the top hundred stocks. Fifteen percent is the mid-cap, and just like maybe less than four percent is the small-cap index. So the the so I think uh, liquidity is not a challenge at all because you're basically buying because they're not equal. Not exactly, and I mean, an equal-weight index would be uh, <laughs> would be a huge challenge that would be impossible not impossible that would be hard to scale up but i think this is more of a market cap so i think uh, because of the way the index is structured the top guys the guys with the most liquidity the most uh, sizes get maximum sort of uh, weightages so i think uh, that so and and we you know i'll be honest we've done we've done back testing you know we, we've studied the liquidity before doing this you know and uh, we've also had experts and i think what we've seen is that you know i think um, uh, barring the small cap index, you know, all, all other indexes are actually, you know, scalable. Uh, with the small cap index, you know, um, obviously the liquidity, the, the, the top 50 stocks is, 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 is scarce if you had, say, a 5,000 or 6,000 crore fund. But I think uh, at our size today, I think um, we, 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 we don't have any problems, number one. And number two, you know, I think uh, if you think about it, you know, people have the same issues with the mid cap index 10 years ago. You know, so I think hopefully the India, India as as we go, will become more liquid, there'll be more trading activity, there'll be more investors, there'll be more buying and selling. So I think if we, if we account for all that, so it'll only get better. Exactly, it'll only get better. So I think uh, we're, we're seeing this from a bit of a medium to long term um, sort of opportunity. One more
0: question about the mechanism of the fund house. Okay, so this is uh, a question on how you actually manage the money. So let's suppose there was this 2008 situation where suddenly, you know, like there's a run on the bank, there's a run on a particular fund. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen, but let's suppose it does. And there are lots of redemptions, right? Uh, so how do you actually exit those stocks, especially towards the tail end? You know, the, is that very difficult to do?
1: Yeah, no. So, so basically, you know, that's the beauty. <clears throat> so, you know, when you, when you think of passive funds, yeah, there's two sort of formats. One is the ETF, and one is the index fund. Okay. And uh, ETFs are something that you have to exit right away. You know, so if you get a sell order, you have to execute the next fifteen minutes. Okay. Whereas index funds, you know, you have a day and a half to sell all those all your securities. Oh. You know, so um, so so it's basically T plus three, which is transaction day plus three days, is when I have to return my money back to investors. Yeah. So in most, I would say ninety nine percent of the cases, I will do it um, in the last half an hour trading, you know, which to to get the end of day sort of price. But in certain cases, I could also do it the next day. And uh, you know, in terms of liquidity, I can give an example. So we have a ETF called the MidCap 100 ETF, um, which we've been running for the last eight years. And we've had investors who had bought and sold, you know, 150, 100, 100, 150 crore worth of uh, stock, like just like on one day and then buying or the other. So I think we, we have seen- These are individuals
0: or institutions? Uh, these are institutions. That's crazy, okay
1: yeah so we've seen that and we managed to and, and also we, we've learned from experience that uh, so we have had good six seven years experience and so right now it's completely automated <clears throat> but uh, but yeah I think um, uh, liquidity at at the current sort of market cap that uh, size of funds we have is not an issue and I mean, we don't see an issue in terms of because we have time for us to sort of call there and sell it. Yeah, this is, if it's
0: completely automated, this is a really good business as well, because not only are you saving money for the customer, I mean, it almost costs nothing to actually run it, right? That's that's pretty good. It's a win-win for both.
1: Yeah, so the ETFs are automated, almost automated, I would say. There is some small human intervention, but yeah, the index funds are not yet because we're sort of still learning and and uh, hopefully, you know, <laughs> this time next year we'll, we'll have uh, okay. Uh, sort of automated that but but also I think automation has its challenges because you know the idea is to lower the cost of trading as much as you can so I think uh, I, my my plan is to not uh, accept the current cost of automation is to lower it down so hopefully we can make our models uh, better and more efficient yeah I think your experience in tech will really help you yes yeah exactly yeah so I think uh, we're trying to use uh, as much technology as we can to lower the cost of trading because I think that if you lower the cost of trading you know the, all the benefits. So our, uh, all the benefits actually goes to the investor, not to us, because all we stand to make is the expense ratio, uh, whereas everything else it goes back to the investor. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so let's do a little bit more active versus passive. So one of
0: the heated debates I've seen a lot, at least lately, people are talking a lot about active versus passive. So give me the lowdown. What are people really uh, fighting about? Is it the investment returns? or is it just the difference in cost i mean what are the what's the debate really about
1: i think i think cost is not as big a big an issue as it is about returns you know i think uh, investors you know i mean if you think about it you know there are higher cost uh, funds or higher cost uh, structures that are being sold today and i think the you know the financial services industry is is idly a seller of hope in the hope that you make uh, like a lot of money and which is why I think fees are, I mean, fees make sense, right? I mean, you do, most investors do end up making more money in like, uh, in, 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 in stuff like private equity or whatever. So I think it makes sense to charge more, but I think uh, people are today are more about the return aspect. You know, I think uh, um, index uh, is not something that most people sort of compare their investments to. And still, it, uh, I still think it's it's sort of at a nascent stage today, uh, but, but I think, uh, Especially in the last three to four years, you know, you've seen that a lot of active fund managers have not managed to sort of, uh, or actually, in, in um, managed to outperform or the the benchmark, which uh, which is which is which is why you know. Uh, so the theory is that you know, if you can't outperform the benchmark, then just buy the benchmark for free, right? So I think people have started to ask questions that you know, should I even give money or should I even you know allocate some of my money to sort of active funds because number one, I'm paying more, and number two, I'm not even getting the returns that I can do it for free or for very low cost. So so that is a conversation, and, and that's a conversation that, you know, people have been having globally for, I don't know, 20, 30 years now. <laughs> and it still happens, man. I mean, even if, if the, like the mutual fund industry today in the US is like 55% passive, you still have like, oh, I, I mean, everyone's still debating, you know, people are calling passive uh, investing as a bubble, people are saying active investing doesn't work. So I think, you know, from what I know, you know, honestly, I, don't don't want to even get into this active versus passive debate because I think that the way I see it, you know, passive is good. As passive is there for simplicity more than anything else. Huh. You know, so the way. Huh. And don't know so much, lo. And then choose choose what you like and mix and match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good exactly. I, the, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'll be honest. But why
0: do we so polarized? Yeah. Guys? Yeah.
1: So so I think. Uh, it's a it's, lot it's, it's sort of intellectuals and, and, and I do agree, like, you know, philosophically if you, uh, it, it makes sense because the market tends to be... So, I mean, the, the underlying theory to why passive funds make sense is that, you know, collective wisdom uh, is better than individual wisdom, you know. So, the market is uh, a place where you have hundreds of thousands of people trying to look for mispricings, trying to create alpha and if you combine all of them, you know and then it becomes very hard because all of them are undercutting each other they're fine, mispricing, before all of that so you as an individual you know trying to create that becomes very hard in a market where you know everything's priced in i think that's the philosophy but you know i think uh, and which which makes perfect sense especially in a market like us where things are a lot more efficient but i feel like in india i think that efficiency is still not there yet you know in my opinion you know so especially in like the small cap space or even mid cap or maybe in the large cap space, you know, there are opportunities where you could sort of you know, pick the right stocks, all of that. So I think, and, and it also depends on size, you know. So managing a 10 crore portfolio versus 100,000 or 10,000 crore portfolio is very different. You know, so your ability to be flexible is actually much easier in you know, a 10 crore versus 10. So I think, uh, I think, uh, and, and as we see mutual funds growing from say today, 10 lakh crore in um to 30, 40 lakh crore, you know, it will get incrementally harder and harder for you to deliver outperformance or alpha. I mean, whatever you call it.
0: Um, so the S and P indices versus active uh, is a report uh, called SPIVA as you already know, um, and it basically measures the performance of actively managed f- uh, funds versus their S and P index benchmarks. Uh, in India, obviously, has this partnership, so all the indices we have, it says S and P Nifty's, right? So. Uh, It basically will compare uh, Nifty, that's the benchmark, against the active fund. Now, if you look at the scorecard, uh, and this is for our listeners, uh, Prateek obviously already knows and talks about this. If you go back as 2010, over 60% of funds, especially in the large cap cap category, didn't beat the benchmark, that's the index. So the question to you, Prateek, is, is picking a good active fund pretty much a coin toss, or is there some skill involved?
1: No, I think uh, what we've realized is that it is it is a bit of a coin toss. And I think in addition to the coin toss, you know, I think um, people need to understand that, you know, even the guys who end up beating a benchmark, you know, will underperform. Because I think getting consistent outperformance in a fund is virtually impossible. You know, so funds will... So s- suppose an active fund is doing a value strategy or a growth strategy, you know, that strategy will work in a different, uh, different sort of a market. You know, so value might work today, you know, growth might do badly today, you know. So I think what we've learned is that, you know, I think consistent alpha is, is something that, you know, you should never expect in a mutual fund. That is number one. Number two, I think, you know, there is there is credibility in a philosophy, you know, so I think uh, if you look at active funds, even though they might not be consistently underperforming, you know, and there will be like they go through cycles where they will underperform today, outperform tomorrow, they'll underperform again. So I think investors are looking to active funds you know, should ideally expect them to, you know, I think be really, really sure about the philosophy of the fund manager, about the fund house, about what they're trying to do and they should ideally not look for returns, but look at their conviction of the fund manager philosophy. You know, so like like the SPIVA report, for example, you know, I, I I mean, obviously, that's a great report. It talks about, uh, it tells you that, you know, I, I, and, and honestly, the SPIVA report is also not completely right. There's no survivorship bias. So I'll give an example, the SPIVA report in the U.S says that you know 90 percent of passive funds or uh, active funds have underperformed the benchmark it's actually much more than that because a lot of funds have shut down or merged over the last 10 years so the actual number is more like 90 95 96 maybe who knows yeah so so yeah you know, i think the us uh, is, is, a, is, is i think that market is very efficient and even in india i think the efficiency is getting there um, but but you know in in my opinion i think investors should uh, spend a little bit more time than just looking at three to five year returns, uh, to be able to you know like pick the right fund or right the fund manager, I think there is more to do more than that um, because you know what we've seen is that three to five year returns is not a very good metric to figure out in the next three to five years. In fact, you know it might be the opposite. You know it might be that uh, uh, there there's some there's a, there's a term called mean reversion basically what it, what it means is that the funds that end up doing really well in the last 5 years will most probably exactly will come back to the mean will come back to the market rate so i think uh, investors need to sort of just be a little bit wary of that and make decisions accordingly
0: wow so good performing funds could just be a blip
1: yeah it, 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 you know, <laughs> i mean there are cycles right there's cycle for growth there's like like the cycle for value yeah. today's cycle for quality Correct. if you if you've held any of the top 10 stocks in your portfolio or if you've held a lot of cash you know if you've taken a call of holding cash you know, your fund would have done well so i think uh, people need to understand go beyond just the returns to understand uh, what's happening yeah yeah a, a little
0: bit more i'm gonna move away from this and talk about again as an amc as a business because i really want to understand how the amc also functions and i think the listeners also want to know so uh, a lot of how financial services works is a lot of these products are sold by distributors uh, or advisors right and they do a fantastic job i mean they would go to each person they would advise it's just amazing uh but one question i had is that since index funds can't afford to pay high commissions i mean how will you actually grow this market um how does that how what's the strategy
1: yeah i mean that's yeah so that's that's i think one of the um, sort of obstacles you know for you to grow this business is that you know you have to go direct to the customer and uh, they, yeah yeah absolutely. no no, no no honestly honestly you know I spend like I would say like 70, maybe 60, 70 percent of my time just in education, just going out there doing seminars, trying to present about passive funds, trying to make people understand what passive funds are and how they can analyze their portfolio. So I think uh, the education awareness is what I'm spending, I would say most of my time and the rest on like businessy sort of uh, sort of stuff. And I think uh, I, I think the first barrier is number one education. The second barrier is the ecosystem, which you pointed out. You know, which is I think, uh, um, how do you sell this stuff? You know, because you can't go through intermediaries. You know, no one. I, I mean, we we had uh, so we've done an NFO uh, of four funds last month, and we've had very little traction with distributors because obviously the commission, uh, which is embedded, correct, is, is quite and it makes little. sense.
0: I mean, they should be paid for their uh, their hard work. Exactly, exactly,
1: sense. exactly. So you know, I think uh, the battle is number one. You know, so I am not. So, you know, as I said before, financial services is about, you know, like a lot about selling hope. So in my case, you know, in my case, I am not giving commission and I'm not selling hope, you know, <laughs> whereas in an active fund, you know, there's commission and there's hope of making a lot of money. So, so I think uh, there's, there are, there are sort of two uh, sides to this and, uh, but, but, you know, I'll be honest, I think um, as, as customers are getting smarter and smarter, as customers are better at Googling stuff out you know, and they are, uh, uh, I would say, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, think, I think there are, so for example, in our case, you know, I think the maximum uptake happened in the retail investor uh, sort of segment, uh, which I think is very, very encouraging, it's, it, me, it shows that, you know, people are getting smarter, people are getting more aware of this stuff, of these products, whereas I think hopefully over time, you know, we will get more sort of participation from institutional or H&I Ultra H I that category. Yeah, yeah. You know what? would Be cool. Yeah. Like in 2030, people listening to the
0: podcast and saying, like, "Damn, man, one lakh crore is is already AUM under passive funds. It was just under a billion ten years ago." Yeah, <laughs> <And I think laughs> that would be pretty interesting
1: if that actually yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. No, and honestly, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think uh, uh, there is uh, like already we're seeing. We're seeing. I think so. I think you know one big kicker, or at least one big opportunity that we see, at least with intermediaries, is you know upcoming I think so. What's happening in India today is a lot of distributors who were traditional distributors who used to you know basically get commission through AMC's and now becoming uh, investment advisors. So fee-only investment advisors. So basically, what that means is that you know you're getting you're basically making or you're, you're making your income via charging a fee to your customer. So you're basically giving your customer direct plans and everything, but you're charging you're making your money through the customer, which I think which is yeah. what the dominant like an advisory fee, fee. exactly right. advisory yeah, fee is, yeah so they know they're
0: paying for this versus that
1: absolutely so i think that's where i think you know uh, that's where i think i would say i see a lot of opportunity at least in the intermediary space because someone who's paying fee understands the value of passive of what it can you know sort of the, that it can bring to your portfolio of a customer you know i don't have to worry about underperformance. i don't have to worry about imagine psychology of an investor all of that so i think uh, that trend will hopefully emerge you know i, I mean hopefully and yeah. i think that happens. i think you're right i think people
0: will pay for, for for advice because when someone's investing like half their life savings they want good advice so I, I don't see why they wouldn't pay but yeah something that's upcoming you're totally right
1: yes yes yeah so that's that's a big driver
0: earlier Pratik, you you mentioned something on smart peter earlier yes that you actually uh one of the first come uh, first amc's to actually launch a smart yeah fund, yeah which uh, i don't think anyone did at that time
1: yeah so yeah sorry please go ahead. Uh,
0: Sorry, the question was so what type of a fund was it, and why did you close? And also, very quickly explain what smart beta means for our listeners.
1: Yes, yes. So smart beta is uh, is becoming, uh, or or I think it has become um, a bit of a buzzword, um, especially in India, but I think globally. Um, the, the, so how smart beta is different from say, so smart beta is still passive. You know, it comes under passive funds. But the only difference is that, you know, in, in, in sort of low cost or simple passive funds, your objective is to match the benchmark or hug the benchmark as closely as possible. So give you benchmark returns, whereas Smart Beta, actually the mandate is to have low cost, but also the ability to beat the benchmark over time. So you get the best of both worlds, you know, you get... So it's smartly weighted. Yeah, so smartly weighted, uh, exactly, yeah. So basically, you would change the weightages of the fund or you would choose, say, 20 out of the 50 or, you know, 50 out of the 100 through some sort of uh, algorithm or some automated trading strategy. Uh, but the idea is very simple it is to be the benchmark and uh, that's that's basically where smart beta came in you know and, and and globally it hasn't worked you know i'll be honest um smart beta is a very interesting concept i i think it's a huge opportunity but uh from our experience you know i, I mean i i remember telling you that, uh, that you know we had customers calling us asking us who the fund manager is and uh, i'll i'll give you one other example that you know so i know i knew actually a fund in the us uh, or one of my friends who's working on a fund where um where you know they wanted to create the smart beta strategy and the problem is that you know the top two stocks uh, that the smart beta strategy threw up were like something equivalent to an india bulls or a dhfl sort of a thing so you know that is something that and and, and you can't really do something about it right when it happens i mean you can't change the strategy based on what it throws up so i think uh, that's why i think you know i think uh, smart beta is definitely an opportunity but uh, i think the education towards uh, just pure passive funds is very less and once you know you see a lot of people sort of um, uh, adopting passive then you can see people adopting smart beta uh, but even then, you know, I think the AUM's smart beta are still quite low globally.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: uh, also, I, I was just thinking for the
0: listener who's been listening for this for almost an hour now. I mean, well done. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got through this for an hour. So here's a little prize <laughs> <I know that's... laughs> with Prateek that I have here. Like, I'm sure you want to know about ETFs. And yeah, like, I mean. Uh, and and this, that's why you've got, got this far. So yeah, if, Prateek, if... Can you please explain? Uh, if someone wants to Yeah, do,
1: I mean if if you can if you can hang out for 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 maybe some more time you know I'm more than happy to talk to you in person you know <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a huge it's achievement. Not dedication. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, I'll um, open my yeah So, so Pratik
0: if someone wants to do this uh, can you explain how the core satellite portfolio works if I want to construct a portfolio with uh, with with an index fund how do
1: I Yes, yeah, so I would refrain from telling someone to put all their money in passive funds like 100% you know, because I think India is still early days and uh, even though you have seen some bad performance by active funds, I would say, you know, I guess for the sake of this audience that's listening, you know, the relatively younger folks uh, looking to invest for a relatively long time. So have at least uh, between a 20 and 40 percent allocation to passives and they should be across categories. So if I think um, should be a bit of large cap and mid cap, I would say. And then also again, then obviously you can combine that with uh, some active funds and some debt. But uh, I think um, I think as the younger you are, the less debt you should have in your portfolio. So don't have like 60% debt and 40% equity. That's uh, have, have basically like at least maybe 60 or 80% I would recommend in equity. Uh, this is obviously, I mean, this is obviously if you have, um, um, if you do have short-term goals, then please, you know, have more debt. But if you have, if you're investing for a very long time and if you have the risk uh, ability, then, and, 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 and if you know for a fact, and, and you should know that, you know, you will, uh, the markets do correct on and off, you know, every seven to ten years. So be prepared to lose um, maybe between thirty and forty percent of your money. But obviously, the pullback is 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 very very short. So I'll give an example. You know, markets corrected in '92, uh, the markets uh, pull back very quickly. Then '99, the Y2K markets corrected in two years' time. 2000, 2008, markets corrected in a year and a half. 2013, people just if they can just like manage their psychology, which I think is the most difficult part of being an equity investor then i mean you will just absolutely do a great job number one number two you know i think this is i think extremely important you know i keep telling a lot of younger younger folks is that the question that they ask me constantly is you know when do i invest and you know i think my response is very simple as early as possible you know, if you can, you know, invest on the day you're born, you know, <laughs> you know, because, because, yeah, invest as early as possible, you know, I think the beauty about compounding or power of compounding, and that is something of brain, human brain is not really, um, doesn't have the yeah, capacity. Because it's exponential. Expect, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We don't have the brain capacity to understand the value of compounding. And it is beautiful. I mean, I've seen it. And the you do invest. So the money you invest today. Is going to double, triple every single year in fifteen to twenty years' time. Every single year. So, and the earlier you invest, the better it is. You know. So don't. People ask me, should I invest now? Should I force buy a car, buy a house, get married? And I'm like, no, don't do that. Invest today. You know, MS. Yeah, I, I think
0: even Buffett has this story, right? So they asked him when did you
1: start investing. He said twelve. He said, what's your regret?
0: I wish I started earlier. <laughs> so exactly.
1: So, so and thing. and also, you know, if you've seen Buffett's income grow you know at 60 you know he was not very wealthy like but the compounding effect of his i mean 60 to 90 you know his wealth must have grown some 100 i don't know how many x but uh, th- th- that's what right so the more time you spend investing the more um, the more that money uh, uh, is multiplying for you over time so trick is to yeah, start yeah i mean the- actually
0: this is maybe this is a bad example right but i'm a huge fan of uh, bill gates okay i know he doesn't invest in equities but This guy is not even running Microsoft and he's again on the rich list and he doesn't give a shit, right? I mean, he's just doing, he just doesn't care and he just keeps getting wealthy and wealthy because the machine that is Microsoft, like its exponential move has happened in the last 10 years, right? Right.
1: And uh, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So Microsoft corrected a lot, but then it's back now. And I mean, just look at his, I mean, he, 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 he was uh, wealthy in uh, 20 years ago. And now just because of pure compounding, he's again the wealthiest person. So I think, uh, and what he's done, he's done and, and, and guess what, you know, Bill Gates has actually sold a lot of his stake for the last 20 years. So Bill Gates would have been worth, I think, double of what he's worth today. But he's actually given his money, uh, money away to philanthropy. So I think uh, despite giving, I would say, I don't know, 20, 30 percent of his wealth away over the last 20 years. He's still like the richest person. So I think that just shows you that you know doing nothing is the best strategy. You know my job as as a as someone who knows something about mutual funds is is very difficult because you know I have to convince people to do nothing. You know, so, and 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 that's where most of my effort goes. So which is why I think you know if you really like stick to investments and 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 don't like worry about the performance and you know whether it be active or passive, it doesn't matter. What what matters is that you hold on to whatever you have and um, yeah just 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 right yeah away. correct
0: i i think all disciplines i think that's uh, one thing we're taught i think in school is that if you work hard you'll get better marks but it's maybe just being really consistent for a really long time, which in this case is not doing anything.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, you know, I think people think that, you know, investing is magic and, you know, you have to like invest in these like only like uh, wealthy people make money and all that. But you no, know, that, all that is not true. What's yeah.
0: a good stock to invest, Prateek? Please tell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: I don't know yeah. Exactly. I have. Yeah. I, I wish I had known. But uh, I mean, I would have not been here on this podcast if I had known, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there is, there is no good stock, you know, I'll be honest, people get lucky uh, the, and, and I have rarely seen people create great wealth using stock, stock tips, you know, wealth, making, creating wealth is an extremely boring process, very boring, it takes forever, you know, it's delayed gratification and if you're doing it and you're having fun, you're probably doing it wrong. So there is no stock tip, according to me. Yeah. I mean, the guy selling you the stock tips is exactly. the most Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. So the, laughs> I just saying the house always wins. But anyway, yeah, so I agree. Um, I think stock tips are obviously, um, so, you know, I, I mean, most people do it because they have, they like trading, which is fine. But uh, what I would tell investors is at least like, you know, have some corpus that you trade with, but have like maybe 80-90% of it that you invest for the long term. That is that is a good I would say compromise. So don't give up trading. If you guys, if people like trading, that's fine. But don't let's like, uh, don't don't. I would say put 90% in in a vehicle where you can invest for a very long time, and obviously then take your 10-15% and then that you can trade with and see if you can make money. Thanks for saying 90% because I know inside you want to say 100% invest. (laughs) Yeah, but thanks for saying. I mean, it's very hard to be idealistic. I think, uh, but but I think uh, even even to a lot of. I would say um, wealthy or HN, I'll try to You know, I tell them that you know, put most of your portfolio in something as long, something that is extremely long term, and the rest, you know, you can invest in startups, you can invest in structures, whatever you want. Correct. But I would say you know, like discipline for ninety, and then obviously then you can you can um, um, maybe experiment with the rest No, thank you so much for your time that's a wrap you can find prateek on twitter prateek oswal you can find
0: us learn app on twitter as well you can find zero online uh, give us a shout out if you found this interesting thank you so much prateek for doing this man
1: yeah thanks a lot this has been super fun thanks a lot
0: mutual fund investments are subject to market risks read all scheme related documents carefully